0: So, we're in a series called The Days of Elijah, and we're talking about how the paganism of ancient times is making a resurgence today. Ahab and Jezebel followed a long, long line of wicked rulers over the nation of Israel, only they did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the kings before them. They promoted the worship of Baal and Asherah. And in case you didn't know, when you read the Old Testament, you'll see that the worship of Baal and Asherah, these two pagan gods, these two evil spirits, they were the primary temptation of Israel throughout their history as a nation. Why were they the number one temptation to Israel? Because sin is fun for a season. They were the pagan god and goddess of prosperity and pleasure. And the worship of these pagan gods was primarily sexual. And we've been talking about a lot of that. I launched this series during the month of June. That wasn't by coincidence, I do not believe. We talked about how the worship of these, and and the worship of these pagan gods, okay, that didn't lead to this stuff. In order to worship these pagan gods, you had to commit adultery, homosexual acts, bisexual acts, and it was led by transgender priests. It also involved child sacrifice, the killing of infants on the pagan altars. And we're seeing the same exact thing today in our culture. We're just using modern methods and advanced technologies. It is the same thing. This is not progressivism. It's ancient paganism. It's not a political movement. It is a spiritual problem. But the series is not just about calling out the problem. It's It's about discovering God's answer to the problem. Because I believe that in these last days, God is raising up some men and women who will be Elijah's to this generation. Can I get an amen? I'll take five. That's all right. Elijah was facing the same spiritual darkness that we are facing today. And he saw his generation see revival and we're going to see our generation see revival in Jesus name. Amen. So there are five things that Elijahs do and this is where we were last week. Point number 1 is we speak the truth. First King 17, 1 Kings 17:1 Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. What did Elijah do? He said, What God told him to say. Tell somebody. He said what God told him to say. If we're going to change this generation. We've got to say what God told us to say. We have to speak the truth. Truth is not relative. It's not your truth. And my truth. And their truth. Truth is established by the word of God. And you know something? God tells you the truth. Because he loves you, even if it's not what you want to hear. God does not affirm your dysfunctions. He tells you like it is. There's this big scandal with Target because they were connected to a clothing line, and the person, uh, part of this clothing line, was uh, Satan respects pronouns. Well, yeah, he came up with the idea. God does not affirm your dysfunction. He tells you the truth regardless of whether you like it or not. Why does He tell you the truth? Because He loves you and He wants to set you free. Come on. If I went to a doctor and he affirmed my cancer and said it's so, I just celebrate you. Let's throw a party and give you a bunch of clothes that has the word C written over it. That'd be a mighty bad doctor, wouldn't it? A good doctor's going to tell you this stuff is bad and if we won't deal with it, it's going to kill you. That's love. Love is not affirmation. Love is telling you the truth that will help you and save you and set you free even if it hurts your precious little feelings. Amen. If what you're doing is destroying you, God will call you out because he loves you. Because he and he alone is in the business of saving people. Because Jesus loved the woman called in adultery, he said to her, go and sin no more, Right? That's Bible, right? Because Jesus loved the rich young ruler, he said, sell what you have and give to the poor. Because Jesus loved the lost Jewish people, he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Because he loves us, he tells us how it really is. And if you love people, you tell them the truth. We preach truth because we love people. We tell you that what you're doing is wrong, not because we hate you, but because we love you. In fact, in my opinion, it would be hating you if we knew that what you're doing is going to destroy your soul and destroy your life and destroy your family and rob you of your peace of mind. I would be hating you if I affirmed that and said you are great just the way you are. If you're driving a car straight off a cliff, I'm not going to say, go for it, bud. God tells us the truth because he loves us, and he wants to save us. Jesus said, the what will set you free? The truth. truth. You got it. So that's point number one. Point number two, what do Elijah's do? We come out from the culture. 1 Kings 17, verse 2 through 3, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. God told Elijah, separate yourself from the culture around you. Second Corinthians 6, 17, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. The question is, are you influencing the culture or is the culture influencing you? And today we pick up with point number three. Point number three, what do Elijah's do? We trust God in tough times. I told you it's going to get better. We trust God in tough times. Come on, tell somebody we trust God in tough times. We are living in a difficult environment for believers. Okay? It's an easy environment for compromisers, but it's a tough environment for believers. A guy was talking to me last week, and he was telling me that he is the only Christian in his department. He works in a shift with five people. He is the only Christian, and he said, I, I, I kept noticing all of my coworkers are talking about how lonely they were, how depressed they were, and how they just felt Horrible about themselves and horrible about their lives. So what I would do is I would invite, you know, a person here, a person there, let's go get coffee or or let me take you out to lunch. And he would talk to them and share with them about the hope that he has in Jesus. And he said after months of trying to show kindness and love and share the gospel with his coworkers, they've all ganged up on him and all they do is mock him and make fun of him. Church, difficult days lie ahead. The more we stand for what's right and the more we shine the light of Jesus, the more we're going to be hated by people who love darkness. In this world, we will have tribulation, but Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Sometimes we need to be reminded that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Somebody needs to be reminded that you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Don't grow weary in doing well. Elijah's men and women of faith, world changers, learn how to trust God in tough times because it doesn't come automatically now, does it? Come on, somebody. 1 Kings 17, 2 through 7, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the the brook Cherith. And now some translations call it Cherith because in Hebrew, I believe it's Kerith. Okay, so you'll hear me say Cherith and Cherith or both of it. But he says, go hide by the brook Cherith and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Hmm. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is highly unusual. God tells Elijah to go hide in the Cherith Valley, and he's going to eat at ravens, right? Morning and evening, the birds Brought him, got him in a hub. <laughs> that's in the Bible. Did you know that? Somebody's saying, see, that's why I don't believe the Bible. It's full of fairy tales. Birds can't deliver food. <laughs> really? Because I've seen it. Okay? I, we got a photo I, I want to share with you. I took this photo a, a few years back. I was driving to work one morning, and I passed a Pastor crow sitting on a speed limit sign holding a McDonald's bag <laughs> in his mouth. That's the God I serve. Hallelujah. <laughs> I was like, okay, Lord, I'll go hang out by the brook for a little while. Bring me a big man. Praise Jesus. <laughs> when I saw that, I immediately thought, you know, I've read about this. <laughs> this happened before in the Carruth Valley about 3,000 years ago. Listen, don't put God in a box, God can do anything. To me, this little crow is a reminder that God is faithful, that He always takes care of His people, even in unexpected ways. This is what you need to understand where God guides, He provides. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And there is always food and provision on the path that God leads you down. When you obey God's will, he pays the bill. But you have to trust him. We walk by faith and not by sight. This is a rainbow word for somebody. Sometimes you have to stop trying to figure it all out and just trust God. Come on, tell your neighbor where he guides, he provides. Come on, tell somebody else when it's God's will, he pays the bill. Listen, God will provide for you physically. There will be food on your table. I like what David said, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. Yeah. Philippians 4:19. my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. It didn't say the stock market. It didn't say the interest rates. It didn't say the economy. It said according to his riches and glory, he will supply all your need. Jesus was crucified on the mountain in Jerusalem. It's called Mount Moriah. Did you know in the Old Testament, Abraham went to that place, all called Mount Moriah, and and Abraham called it something? Abraham gave the place where Jesus was crucified a name. He called it Jehovah Jireh, the Lord Jesus. Will provide, did you know everything you need, God has already provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. He will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. God will take care of you when you follow him, blessings follow you. Even in tough times. Hallelujah. Third John verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. God will take care of your physical needs and God will take care of your spiritual needs. Some of y'all learned this the hard way, but you know that when you trust God in the face of opposition, when you fight the good fight of faith, when you walk by faith and not by sight, God will give you joy in your heart and peace down in your soul that the world cannot take away. Elijah trusted God through tough times and God sustained him. Even when the brook dried up and a redneck shot the ravens, Come on, some, some, some guy in Gilead had a raven with the McDonald's bag mounted over his fireplace. He's like, hey, look what I got. <laughs> That's the Reverend Clark edition of the Bible. <laughs> Even after all that, God sent him to a widow woman in Zarephath in the nation of Sidon. Listen to this, 1 Kings 17, 7. It happened after a while that the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. Why was there no rain in the land, Elijah? Because you're the one who stopped the rain. Sometimes when you obey God, things are going to get tougher. But God will still sustain you. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And this is just like God. When Elijah gets there, this widow woman is so poor that she's about to die. God's power is made perfect. Come on, if I was Elijah, I'd be like, really, God? (laughs) This is the one that's going to take care of me? What God was saying to Elijah is, is I'm the one who's going to provide for you. Even when it looks like it's not going to happen and it can't happen, I'm the one who's going to take care of you, Elijah. God's power is made perfect in weakness. God does a miracle and sustains her, her son, and the man of God. And because of God's work in Elijah's life, Elijah leads this woman to faith in God. you got to remember she is not an Israelite. Okay, this woman is Phoenician, just like Jezebel. When you're faithful to God through tough times, God will give you favor and an audience with people that God would not have given you any other way. When you trust God through difficult times, God does impossible things. Five things God's people do. We speak truth. We come out from the culture. We trust God through tough times. Number four, we confront evil. Yes. First Kings 18, it came to pass after many days. Three years, that's many days, is it not? Yeah. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was that while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. So Obadiah is God's man in the government. It was a wicked government. It was a corrupt government. It was a government that was actively killing and destroying God's people. But God still had a man. God always has men and women in government. Hello. Come on. Hallelujah. Elijah finds Obadiah and says, tell Ahab I'm here. And Obadiah says, hey, man, you're trying to get me killed. (laughs) You see, Ahab... Was so furious with Elijah because Elijah stopped the rain that he had been searching for him, not only in Israel, but in all the surrounding nations. He sent people to find Elijah and bring him to him. Verse 14, this is Obadiah talking to Elijah. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here, he will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Let me tell you something. In these last days and in these difficult times, God is giving some men and women the trouble-making anointing. God is going to send some of y'all into some places to stir up some stuff. I'm just prophesying to you. And don't blame me. (laughs) Is that you, Elijah, old trouble of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Oh, it's about to go down, y'all. Elijah basically said, meet me in the parking lot. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. There's about to be a showdown between Almighty God and the false gods that the people are worshiping. Elijah confronts. Evil. Church, we cannot tolerate evil. We can't do it. Tolerance is unacceptable. Tolerance is compromise with the world. Tolerance is the opposite of repentance. In fact, tolerance stops repentance. Repentance says you have to change. Tolerance says you're good just the way you are. Jesus warned warned the church at Thyatira. His warning to them is that they tolerated Jezebel. Tolerance is demonic. Tolerance of the church is an open door to the devil. First you tolerate it, then you accommodate it, then you celebrate it. And here is a warning to somebody you will one day... Be dominated by what you tolerate. That's a message to the modern church. That's a message to so called progressive Christianity. And that's a warning to you and me that we will one day be dominated by what we tolerate. Look at the United Methodist Church, they have such a rich spiritual heritage, they were birthed out of revival. So many of our doctrines in the assemblies of God come from the Methodist revival. I read the writings of John Wesley, I'm like, praise the Lord, brother, I believe you Pentecostal. I mean, they would dance the owls and run and praise God and they were on fire for God and had such a passion for the gospel and for holiness and for integrity. It started with tolerance and now the whole denomination is being dominated by spiritual wickedness. So much so that it tore them apart and most of what remains is nothing more than a mockery of God and his word. And it's not just the United Methodist Church. It's spreading to denominations all over this country. 1 Kings 18.20 So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel and Elijah came to all the people and said and this is the question for us. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long are you going to worship God and worship the Baals How long are you going to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world? How long? How long are you going to sing the high praises of God in the worship service and cuss out your waitress at McCall's because she didn't bring you sweet tea? How long are you going to praise God in church on Sunday and sleep with the devil on Sunday night? How long will you falter between two opinions? God will not be satisfied with weekend visits. He wants full custody of your life. Church, when you ride the fence, you don't get nothing but a sore crotch. That's all you get because you won't get nothing from God. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. Come on, somebody. Elijah said, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. In other words, (laughs) be affiliated one way or the other. Live for God or don't. But don't pretend like you could have it both ways. But the people answered him, not a word. Oh was a quiet day in church at the church of Mount Carmel. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I'll prepare the other bull. Lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call... On the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire. He is God. Church, the one true God still answers by fire today. Amen. And that's why we need and we have to have the fire of the Holy Spirit. To stand against evil in these last days. Verse 30. And so it was at noon. or 27. At noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry they were sitting there, made their sacrifice, put the bull on the altar, and it was a bunch of bull. <laughs> Nothing was going on. Elijah's over there making, I mean, 450 prophets of Baal. And this one little fellow over there making fun of them, taunting them. He mocked them. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy. (laughs) You know, the Hebrew original means maybe he's on the toilet. (laughs) Maybe he's in the (laughs) toilet. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Boy, he's just making fun of them this whole time. I like Elijah. Y'all like Elijah? So they cried aloud and they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out. You, if you've ever wondered why young people cut themselves, it's because they're being tormented by the devil and they need to be set free. Amen. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Notice how the devil imitates God. They offered Their sacrifice, church style. God established the evening sacrifice, and the devil always imitates God's stuff. They waited until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's where we start. If we're going to change this nation, if we're going to change this city, if we're going to change our neighborhoods, if we're going to change our families, we've got to rebuild the altar of God again. The first thing Elijah did was rebuild the altar of God. And some people say, well, there was a drought and a famine in the land. They should have been praying for rain. But Elijah understood that God will not send the rain on the land until there's fire on the altar. It's time to rebuild the altar of God in the church and in the home and in our families and in our schools and in the workplace and in our government, dare should I say it. It's time to go back to the old landmarks and redig the wells of the generations before us and get back to the place where we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways and seek the face of God. Elijah rebuilt the altar of God. And then to show off the greatness of God's power, he told him to put water on the altar. You're praying for fire. And he said, put water on it. In other words, you're going to know that this was not done by man. You're going to know that you know that you know that this was a move of Almighty God. They completely covered everything in water, not once, not twice, but three times over. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, "O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you... Our God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And the Bible says the fire licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. These are people who for generations have been worshiping Baal and Asherah. And in one moment, in one demonstration of the fire of God fell on their faces. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. God answered with fire and the nation repented. And then Elijah did something important. Elijah executes justice on behalf of the people because our God is a God of justice. Those pagan priests, those cult leaders who had been sacrificing babies on the altars of Baal were destroyed. And the hearts of people turned back to God. How do we stand up to a fallen nation? We confront evil. And number five, we share hope through Jesus. In this confrontation on Mount Carmel, we see a crystal clear contrast between sin and salvation. The prophets of Baal tried everything. Listen, you can give everything you have and everything you are to the gods of this world. And in the end, you will get nothing. They heard no answer when they prayed and there was no fire on their altar. But God's sacrifice was accepted. Jesus is God's perfect sacrifice for sin. And he is the only sacrifice acceptable to God. He paid the price. For you and me. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. Church we are living in a culture. Where many many people. Especially young adults and children. Don't know the name of Jesus. They don't know. Have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have kids in our kids church. Every week. Who have never heard a bible story. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is still the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. He is still the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus came to set us free. If you've not given your heart to Jesus, will you pray with me for just a moment? Can we all pray across this room? We're almost done. I'm not done yet, but I'm close. If you haven't put your life in the hands of Jesus, you haven't lived. He is life, he is freedom, and he is hope. Will you pray this with me? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Be my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to serve you. Help me to walk in freedom. And with your help, I'll live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Now will you stand as we get ready to close? We're going to pray in just a minute. But i got one more thing I want to share with you before we leave today. Listen, Elijah wasn't looking for a fight. But he was willing to fight if that's what it took. Jezebel was confrontational, Ahab was passive, but Elijah just stood up for what was right. You know, in our human natures, we all tend to be like Ahab or Jezebel or both. We all tend to either go with the flow and not cause a scene, or we all try to be controlling and take charge of things. But Elijah simply stood for what was right. God is calling us to be Elijah's. He's calling us to be people of prayer. He's calling us to be people of God. Ahab and Jezebel had the power and the money and the influence, but Elijah had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that's what makes the difference. God is calling us to be bold and to stand up and to confront evil. God is calling us to change this generation. I think about Gideon. You know, Gideon, God used him and just a small group of people to set a nation free. To change the generation. But you know what God told Gideon? He said, Gideon, I'm going to call you and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to deliver this generation. But before you do anything, I want you to tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole in your backyard. Mm -hmm. Before he set the nation free, he had to tear down the idols in his own life and in his own house. How many of you want to see this nation saved? How many of you want to see this generation changed? Will you just lift up your hands to heaven as we pray? We need to break the power of idolatry. And I believe God is calling us this morning to break those bondages, to tear down the idols and to tear down those pagan altars because God is getting us ready to do a mighty work.
1: getting ready to pray, but there's, I just feel like somebody needs to hear this. And that is you've been wondering why, why God hasn't done this or why this hasn't taken place. And here's the answer is you've got to get rid of those altars. He can't move in your life when he's not the center of your life and you've got things before him. You've got to tear them down, not just take a few things off, but you have to completely destroy those altars. So we're going to pray. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for today. Lord, I just thank you, God, for your goodness. God, I thank you that you are sovereign. Lord, I just thank you that you are a God of mercy, Father. And Lord, I just thank you right now that I just pray for the spirit of Baal to be completely demolished in the name of Jesus Lord, that if any of us have altars that are before you, Lord, God, that we are worshiping things that we shouldn't be worshiping, that they take the place of you, Father, that this morning that you show us and that you reveal to us what those altars are, Father. God, that spirit of greed, materialism, pride, pornography, lust, adultery, homosexuality, witchcraft, tarot cards, Ouija boards, the occult, Santeria, the spirits of destruction, racism, gossip, pride. The spirit of lying. We rebuke them in the name of Jesus. They have no place in our life. God, let our heart become softened that we see, God, the things that we're participating in and those idols that are before you, Father. God, let us tear them down this morning. Let us utterly destroy any altar of paganism or Baal, anything right now that is destroying our life. God, let us get rid of it. In the name of Jesus. Let it not control us anymore. God, I thank you for freedom right now in the name of Jesus. Where some are wrestling with the things that I just prayed over. God, I thank you, Father, for freedom of it in the name of Jesus. That the spirit of surrender and obedience fall upon you right now. Where you know you need to stop shacking up. And you need to go ahead and get married like God has told you to do. To do it. That people will stop shacking up, but they'll put God first before their marriage and that today they make the decision to be holy and pure before you, before they become one in unity in your eyes. God, I thank you for freeing some people of loneliness That is driving them into things they shouldn't be driving into. That their mind becomes idle. And they open up the door for things that should never be opened in their life. God, I thank you, Father, that you're setting somebody free from that spirit of loneliness. That has just gripped them. God, that you're making them whole. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for a mighty move, Lord. God, we want more of you. And God, less of us this morning. Lord, we want more of you. We cry out. In worship, Father, and we just say, God, give us more. God, pour out On our altar, your anointing like never before, Father. Let us be saturated in your presence. That those things that we participated in, God, that we're no longer filled. God, that we become so filled in your presence that we don't long for the things of this world. where sin has been made so much fun that it is not fun to participate in Lord let us seek your face this morning oh. will i be addicted to things no more will i set these things before god no more will money have control and power over me but today i'm gonna see a victory i'm gonna walk victorious and every battle that i face i am the winner because god goes before me baal never went before in battle but because we live a living God, He goes before us in battle which makes us victorious. We forget that God is still alive and well, that our God's not dead. Everybody else serves a God that's dead, but we, live, we serve a God that is living, that He wants you to be victorious. For so long, you've been lied to, and you've thought that God never wanted to see you prosper, that he was to punish you, but that is not God. God's not punishing you. He loves you with an everlasting love. You're not being punished. That's not how he works. He loves you. And you need to get a hold this morning of what that love is. That love is victory. That love is prosperity. That love is healing. He wants you healed. He wants you victorious. He wants you blessed. He wants you free. God didn't put sickness on you. He healed you. The day that Jesus died on that cross, you were healed. You're not sick from a punishment. You are healed in the name of Jesus. So when we sing that song, I'm going to see a victory. It has a lot of meaning. Because some of us are in a fight for our life right now. And we need to get a hold of what it is that I'm going to see a victory. When you see a victory, do you when you... When you win a battle, do they just stand there and say, oh, we won? No. They rejoice. They high-five. They're loud because they just won a fight in a battle. And that's what I'm telling you this morning. You might not see the victory yet, but you are already victorious. And you need to praise God like you've already won. Glory!